My husband and I joke all the time that we would probably not get into the colleges that we went to if we were applying today. I mean, it's a fact. The acceptance game, and it does seem like a game, like a sport, blood sport at times, is just really complicated. I mean, I think that's why that whole Operation Varsity Blues scandal was such a bombshell to people. Have you seen that show on Netflix yet? OMG. I mean, if Aunt Becky felt like she had to do what she did to get her kids into the school that she wanted them into, how is anybody getting in? So obviously the uber rich bribing schools to get their kids in is one thing. But what the scandal really highlighted and the Netflix documentary, which I cannot recommend more, what it highlighted was just how whacked the process is. And it really shows you the pressure that high school kids are under to curate a life so that they can get picked for the privilege of racking up thousands of dollars in student loan debt. So shocker, the pandemic hasn't made anything better. In fact, in a lot of ways, it's worse because now we have kids who are more anxious than ever because they've been isolated for a year. Wellbeing.org tracked 1,000 teens last fall, so half of the kids said that their mental health is much worse or somewhat worse than it was pre-pandemic. More than 50% of them said that their social life is worse or somewhat worse. I don't know how it couldn't be more than that. And then more than 72% of them said that coronavirus will put their generation at a big disadvantage for a long time. Personally, I think they're 100% correct. My gut tells me, and I've said this before, but I think that we will look back at this years later as a society with a lot of wisdom, and we will say, we really messed that up. We handled the pandemic incorrectly, and we will regret how we handled the elderly and teenagers the most. Now, I get it. We didn't see this coming. But those two groups, I think, at least my experience has been that they have suffered the most because of restrictions that led to them being by themselves. Really hard. Because the effects of isolation have created these sweeping amounts of loneliness for teenagers at a time when developmentally, they're supposed to pull away from their families and their parents. And it's when you're figuring out who you are. And while a lot of parents maybe have enjoyed more time with the kids, the kids hasn't necessarily enjoyed all the time with the parents. I mean, yes, games were fun. They enjoyed making the bread, whatever. But they also really miss their friends. Like, to their core, they miss their friends. And the impact of how these kids feel about themselves and each other, society, high school, looking a few years out, college, is kind of a question mark. So I have Cynthia Muchnick and Jen Curtis on the show today. They are college admissions experts, and they're the authors of a brand new book called The Parent Compass, Navigating Your Teen's Wellness and Academic Journey in Today's Competitive World. Okay, I know you're like, really, you have college people on? No, 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 this is good stuff. (laughs) This is really, really interesting. And even if you do not have kids, you were a kid once. And that's why I think you're going to be so fascinated by this. These two have spent years guiding kids to schools that were a good fit. And they never took pictures of people on rowing machines, I might add as well. But what they know about how we are parenting pre and during the pandemic should give parents some time to really think about how we're all doing things. Because what we're doing for a lot of teens is flat out not working. On this time to ask how to be a more effective parent during the teen years, what the college process is really like right now, and why parents need to get over the bragging rights, bumper stickers, the micromanaging, 
and just focus on raising happy kids. I really love this episode, and I can't wait for you to hear Cynthia Muchnick and Jen Curtis on this week's Dying to Ask. I'm Deirdre Fitzpatrick, and I've been anchoring morning news for more than 20 years. I know two things. One, that phrase, I'll sleep when I'm dead, is starting to seem likely. And two, the best conversations take time. Dying to Ask is my chance to have longer, more meaningful conversations without a producer yelling rap in my ear. Personal change requires personal growth. And these days, Plan B is the new Plan A. Ready to do life bigger and better despite the Rona? This is Dying to Ask. Cindy and Jen, welcome to the Dying Desk podcast. Thank you for having us. us. Okay, no pressure, but I think this might be the most important podcast that I do. Wow. Wow. We're so excited. (laughs) (laughs) No, seriously, I I heard you in the most random place. I was listening to um, the Heather Dubrow podcast. Heather Dubrow, for people who don't know, was uh, one of the Real Housewives of Orange County. Well, she's had this extraordinarily successful podcast for years. And I just enjoy listening to it. It's super fun. And I listened one day and she has a serious topic. She's talking to the two of you about your new book, The Parent Compass, um, which seemed like an odd fit for her show, except that it was exactly what those of us who have, especially teenagers right now, probably really needed to hear. So what was the connection of how you guys ended up on that show? So random. Um, I, Jen and I are both, rich, you know, I raised my kids for the last 20 years in Orange County and Jen has also grown up in Orange County. Um, and I now live in the Bay area, but many years ago, Heather and my Heather's daughter, I think her third daughter, her third child and my fourth child, um, did little ballet classes and dance classes together. And, um, this was long before the housewives were even a thing. Maybe they were in other States, but not in Orange County in Orange County. So we just sat outside and watched our girls through the glass and said how cute they were in their tutus. And we just stayed, you know, friendly off and on through the years. It was just really more of an acquaintance kind of thing. And then when the book came out, we reconnected and she just latched on and has been a phenomenal fan and advocate and supporter for the Parent Compass movement. So we just feel thrilled. She's been incredibly gracious. And we're so glad that through her, you found us, Deirdre. I did. I went down a rabbit hole and got the book instantly. In fact, I bought the book before the podcast was up. That's how good it was. And um, I just, I think you're so onto something. So Jen, why don't you explain what the Parent Compass is all about? So, um, This is actually great timing because literally two years ago, um, pretty much exactly, the Operation Varsity Blues scandal broke. And um, Cindy and I, as educational consultants, and we were just colleagues at the time, um, called one another that morning in horror as we were watching the the media coverage of this um, scandal unfold. And... Um, Over the course of the ensuing weeks, we started to have some pretty real conversations about things that we were seeing in front of us and those things and and in terms of parenting behavior and those things. Maybe it might be a good, might be a good take, just a quick um, description of what you each do and where your background was that you guys, this would be of such interest to you. So we are college counselors or educational consultants, and we work with high school students to um, help with academic planning and um, kind of be a mentor in the college admission process. Um, So did you do similar? I mean, obviously not what Rick Singer was doing that prevented or created this whole scandal, but were you doing similar types of work? Do people hire the two of you to help kind of guide like through the college process? 
Yeah, we um, we work with mostly high school students and high school families, but um, I, you know, had done it for many years and I'm now pretty retired. Jen is still doing that. And um, and I'd written books on study skills and how to write your college essays. And my background was college admissions originally. And so I had sat on the other side of the table and Jen and I, yes, we were hired or are hired privately by families to to work with their kids as cheerleaders, advocates, and really just advisors, not not anything like what Rick Singer did or maybe- You do not Rick take Singer. pictures of people none of that weird stuff when we really help students feel good about who they are wherever they fall in the spectrum of academic ability or you know um or even just their interests whatever it might be so we're just you know gu- guidance counselors basically that that focus with you know work right. with families. so and when you saw this whole thing blow up two two years ago when i mean i remember covering the story on our anchor desk and because there was that strong sacramento connection with rick singer there were a lot of people that we were looking at. We're like, we know these people. And it was really, it was jaw dropping to find out um, uh, two things. One, that people were really doing this. And then Aunt Becky, that never saw that coming. Um, but the second thing was that parents would feel so desperate to get their kids into a school that they would do these ludicrous things and break the law. Um, and I, I suppose like you must've been seeing things over the years of this a change in parents and how they viewed their children and their educational path. What were you guys seeing that made you think, you know what, there's a book and there's a bigger message here. So we, exactly, that's exactly what happened. Um, we, we started to have these talks about um, parenting behavior that we were seeing going on around us. And we were seeing way too much over tutoring and overstepping and over parenting. And as a result, kids were shuffling into our office on a regular basis who didn't, um, didn't have self-advocacy skills, who didn't have very much of a voice, who were burned out and stressed out and, um, and it wasn't good and they, they weren't motivated. But then at the same time, we were noticing these patterns of kids who were coming in who were soaring. They were thriving, they were fulfilled, they did have critical self-advocacy skills. And we were watching those um, parenting patterns side by side. And we thought, gosh, we really feel like we have a message to get out. We have, we've, we have, watched from the sidelines for so long and we want to kind of illuminate these poor parenting patterns so that we can help parents understand where that's going to lead and then we want to illuminate those parenting patterns that lead to thriving kids and positive parenting relationships especially in this really competitive academic context. So what we did actually was we combined forces, we collected kind of every story we could remember of students and families we'd worked with and changed the names of all of them to protect the innocent. And we share these anecdotes throughout the book, but then we also turned to thought leaders, educators, um, heads of school, teachers, counselors, even students, and we surveyed them, um, you know, and some, many of them submitted surveys even confidentially to share with us their, you know, experiences on the receiving end and on the giving end on how the parent behavior was affecting their work and how it was affecting their students. And so we then went to, you know, psychologists and um, challenge success and the, you know, lots of studies that had gone out. And so we really have this book that fuses, um, blends research with um, 
real, you know, tangible steps that Jen and I kind of encourage families to try to implement themselves. And so it just sort of fuses it all together in one place. And we've been thrilled with, you know, the, the reception and the reaction that people have had to the book, um, like you, Deirdre, who heard about it and said, oh my gosh, you know, this makes so much sense. And um, so we feel really, you know, excited that this came out at a time we didn't write it for COVID, but it came out, you know, COVID has kind of heightened the need for something like this. And obviously the varsity blues scandal and parenting bad behavior has also, you know, elicited a book like this. I grew up, um, my parents are both from Ireland and culturally I grew up very different than a lot of my friends, you know, where um, my parents were very hands-off and I look back and I kind of laugh because I don't remember my parents ever telling me to do my homework. I don't remember them ever checking my grades. I don't remember being encouraged necessarily to do very specific things to go to college. They, it was just kind of expected that I would take care of it. And I did. I can't imagine most parents doing that now. And I had to really learn in the last year that um, the way we parent now has to be very different because our kids are truly growing up in a very different time than we all grew up in. And the person who really convinced me of that was another parenting writer, Catherine Reynolds, who wrote um, a book called The Good News About Bad Behavior. And she really said, this is the first generation of kids who can truly say, you don't get my generation. Would you agree with that? I think that's really, first of all, Deirdre, clearly without intense parental involvement, you turned out just fine. You're a news anchor and you that's arguable. <laughs> Maybe we'll interview your parents next, but that being said, um, culturally to not have had, you know, that like, look, we ask in the parent compass parents, um, who are taking on the responsibility of, of being willing to try to check themselves to look back in our very first chapters at how they were raised and what biases they bring to the table as parents, how they were raised academically, the kinds of schools they might've gone to or not gone to what kinds of pressures their parents may or may not have put on them. And we create this whole questionnaire that we ask parents to do, um, you know, partners, spouses, if you're a single parent, do it. And then we have a teenage version and we've all practiced this. Jen and I did it many times with teens that we knew and our own teens. And, um, and we use this questionnaire as a way to open up that conversation because yes, they're generationally, we're very different. I mean, even our parents have generational issues with the way they were parented by the generation before. And I think that the challenges today are unlike anything anyone has ever seen. I mean, you can talk to anyone who's a grandparent right now and they'll say, we never had social media. And, you know, our parents just expected us to come home after dark. And, you know, our phone was connected to the wall and all those kinds of things. <laughs> and, and here we are, you know, with everyone having their phone as an appendage. And so uh -huh. the reality I think of all of it is, is that, you know, parents, I think genuinely in their heart of hearts want to do better and do right by their kids, but they have to stop looking at their kids as this trophy extension of a reflection of kind of who they are based on where their kids end up. You know, this coffee, you know, coffee bar or, you know, cocktail party conversation that's just all this name dropping really does all this damage. And the kids all feel it. They feel it, they hear it. They're stressed out enough as it is. And, um, you know, we do have to pay attention to that. Do you think some of that is then exacerbated by social media where you have a lot of parents who choose to have their children's lives out on social media are every week, you know, so-and-so just won this and, you know, we're doing this and, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to compare yourself than it used to be. We, um, we have actually, we mentioned that several times in the book, we have a whole chapter on tech um, and we really ask parents to post 
with intention, not in tension. So um, it's, it's easier if you see it in print. <laughs> if you read but, it. <laughs> basically the point is um, to pose with intention. You know, you we say like, you wouldn't like it if your kid walked into your room and took a picture of you as you're like waking up with like your drool stained chin, you know? So ask them before you post something. Um, and then another piece to that, we dive into it again when we talk about the college admission process and parents' role in that process. And one of the things that we really want to impress upon parents is this um, incessant kind of, you know, posting of college admission decisions, which um, we really ask parents to think twice about. Think about keeping that within your family. Do, do a happy dance, you know, run around screaming and crying. Great, that's fine but that's not necessarily for public consumption. And we have examples of um, you know, times when teens have been shunned for what their parents have posted about them and particularly as they relate to college admission. Um, and then a third time that we talk about it in the book is that we really want parents to be focusing on, on the journey, on the process of anything rather than the destination, which is like an achievement. So when you're posting all over social media, about your kid's award or achievement, um, you're really, you're reinforcing um, that focus on the destination and not focusing on all that went into the journey of that. So it's something that we cover over and over again yeah. in the book. And so I think I would, oh, no, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just say, I think I would also just add to that, that um, Jen and I also in the book share that we are not perfect. We are also parents and we have made many mistakes along the way ourselves. And in the process of writing the book and doing all the research, even our own behaviors in our own families have changed. I have four children. I have a college graduate, a college student, a high school student and a middle schooler. And the way I parented my first two is very different from the way I'm parenting my second two. And what I posted about my first two on social media when I was sort of like a huge Facebook consumer um, is, is very different than what I'm posting now. And I do ask permission and my kids do roll their eyes when I take a picture and they say, are you posting this? And you know, I, I, I have learned from you know, my own mistakes but also from the process of doing this that we do have to have some sense of privacy. You know, Grandparents, aunts and uncles, we can celebrate with the people who are closest to us but we don't have to project all of that out, out into the world. Yeah, no, I agree. So let's talk a little bit about just that, that idea of being a more effective parent, because, you know, it's funny. I read all the books when my kids were little, my kids were baby wise. They were amazing sleepers. They, they, you know, I hit all those milestones. It was not until junior high and now high school. I'm like, where's the book? I need the book. Where's the plan? Where's the structure? And not having, not being able to kind of structure or put the boundaries in there for the kids at that age creates a real dilemma and a transition for us as parents because now you, you've kind of lost the, um, you've kind of lost the power, truthfully, <laughs> you know, for lack of a better term. If I say you're going to soccer at four and then we're doing this and then I have homework, you can program the day. But once your kids get to be of a certain age, when you're no longer programming the day and every minute, it becomes a lot of a power struggle and a lot more difficult. So how can we be more effective in interacting with our kids during that time? Because once they shut down, it becomes very challenging to get those doors of communication back open. 
I think um, one of a couple things. Um, I think one of the things that we talk about in the book. Sorry, that was like is, a total brain dump on my part. <laughs> no, I think I think I gotcha. Um, one of the things I think we can do is try to to keep something in mind that we um, mentioned that was something said by um, Dr. Mike Riera, and that is that when your kids are younger your role is to be their manager, right? You need to plan the, okay, so we got soccer practice in 20 minutes. This is gonna be my afternoon today. Like we've got soccer yep. practice and then we gotta go here and then we gotta go here. Come on, everybody move, move, move. Um, but then we go from being that manager to being a consultant in their teen years. So um, we, are, we are there to um, give feedback when needed and wanted. Um, but I think when parents can kind of think about and embrace that concept, they can better understand how their role has changed over time. The other thing I think is important um, is communication skills, which we talk a lot about in the Parent Compass. Um, understanding true listening skills. So the paraphrasing back when your teen is telling you something, um, the um, you know, active listening, the, mm -hmm. um, because as parents, I think we all, we, we want to fix our kids' problems for us, that for, for them, that's what we're used to. And so we jump in and we want to give them advice. And, and frankly, half the time, well, maybe more than half the time, they don't want advice. All they want is to vent. And so it's about checking in with them. Okay. Do you want me to listen to you right now? Do you want my advice? Um, and then asking those open-ended questions um, and, and learning, learning how to be asking questions. And we give a plethora of sample questions in the book for parents who are having a difficult time communicating with their teens who might be getting the eye rolls and the grunts and the, and the one word answers. Um, asking those questions that elicit more of a meaningful dialogue than Oh, hey, how was your day? How did you do on your test today? You know, can, can no we go over a couple well of that. those? Will you will you give us a couple of those right now? Sure. Um, we're talking about what the the open ended questions and, yeah, and things like, like that are, are. What are the good What are the good <laughs> sure. conversation starters? Because sure, everybody well, knows like when you do the school pickup when the kids are younger. I have boys. The only right. question they will ever answer in the car is what was hot lunch. That's the one I can always get an answer. <laughs> right. <laughs> but if so I ask what, how was the day, you're not really getting anywhere. With the teenager, it's that much tougher too. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So what was interesting was Jen and I actually um, not only did we come up with our own question list but we um, referenced question experts. Like Ooh. there's a couple books out of like great questions. So one of our question experts um, is basically an article that we read about this Nobel laureate scientist, this um, guy named um, Izzy Rabi. And he tells this story about when he was little, he grew up in Brooklyn and he would get home from school and his mom would say, so did you learn anything today? But instead of saying that she would say, Ziggy, did you ask a good question today? And he said that the fact that she, you know, reminded him to him to ask good questions was what made him a good scientist, which I thought was kind of interesting. But we go through this whole list of questions, um, such as, you know, what's something that you've, you know, that you tried that was new today? And it could be anything in class or an idea or something that they tried, you know, with a friend. It could have been, 
Or did you, you know, did you fail in something today? And how did that go? You know, you can ask kind of a harder question about something that might not have gone right. Um, or when were you bored today? Or when were you happy today? Um, you can do that rosebud and thorn thing that a lot of families do around the dinner table, the highlight, the low light, and you know, what you want to do a little bit differently. And you can always ask them when they were the happiest today um, or when they really laughed. What was something that was funny that happened? Um, or, um, you know, which classes were the easiest and which were the hardest today? As opposed to focusing on the grades, how you did, um, you know, are you ready for the next thing that's coming up? You know, they, they know how to regulate all that pressure. They don't need you checking in on that. And they will share more easily when they have a downfall in a class um, if you don't ask than if you're asking all the time. So they will come to you. I mean, my daughter just last night came to me and said, you know, I'm, I'm really struggling in this class and I feel like I need to meet with the teacher and I don't know what to say. And so we sit down together and we talk about that because I don't email the teacher or call the teacher. You know, she needs to learn to do that. And that starts in middle school. It really does. And by high school, shame on any parents who are emailing and texting or reaching mm -hmm. out to teachers on behalf of their kids. That's just a really big no-no, um, not following a parent compass in any way, shape or form and can often be really damaging and, and embarrassing for your kids. So brainstorming and working out things with them is, is perfectly fine. But just asking, you know, there's, yes. Sorry, Jen, go ahead. I just said in role-playing, like role, you did yeah, with your playing. daughter. Okay, let's, let's actually talk this out. I'm the teacher, you're the kid right. that's, you know. Yeah, no, she uh, even jotted it down helpful. on a little index card, you know, so that when she talks to the teacher, she has her points ready of what she wants to say. So yeah, you, you yeah. can practice that. It's really great practice for them. I mean, we do that as adults. You do it with your spouse or a friend sometimes when you're having a problem and they want to help you think through something. That's, that's a great role for a parent to play in their, in their teens years, because we want them to learn those self-advocacy skills. If they don't learn them now, then what's going to happen when they get to college, you're going to call and wake them up every morning and you're going to help them sign up for their classes. And you're going to, you know, you know, do have, send their laundry to a laundry service instead of teaching them how to do laundry. I mean, they need to learn these life skills while they're under your roof. Yeah. Or in my case, you just wore the pink socks for the year. Cause that's what you had after you. Oh yeah. Those, well, my son, know? my son, in, yeah. My son in college the other day wore his, um, he called me to say he was wearing his superhero socks from one day at school in high school, they had to dress up as superheroes, I guess. And these were like from old Navy. They were from, I don't know, some superhero socks. And he goes, I'm down to my very last pair. And now I know it's time to do laundry. So, you know, they'll, <laughs> they'll, they'll figure it out. They'll rewear them. They'll turn them inside out. And so, so be it. <laughs> okay. So I love all of this, but now we add in a pandemic. So how, how has this last year impacted where these kids are heading? Because if you're talking about creating these really independent kids, um, as they, figure out where is the right college or is college even the right thing for me. We have now had a lot of these kids who've been at home learning off of computers and not being around friends at a critical time when being around friends is really what helps you develop as a person. How do you see this impacting, you know, these kids? Cause there'll be four years of kids who will have had at least one year of high school during a pandemic as they apply to college. Where, what do you see happening here? Um, I feel like uh, these kids that have been at home, you know, it's, it's unfortunate. Um, there have been lots of articles written about, you know, writing off this year and having parents view this like, let's just get the best we can out of it and not worry about what the losses were, you know, in terms of learning academic material or, you know, or whatnot. Um, and there's obviously the silver linings. Lots of kids are finally getting enough sleep. 
um, because they could just roll out of bed in their pajamas and do class, you know, on their computer in their bedroom that way. Um, some kids are, you know, preferring being able to have the break time to go down and get a snack and, and all of that, but nobody chose this. Let's, we all know that this is, you know, a pandemic is something that happens in the movies. It doesn't happen in real life. And now here we are in this sophisticated world we live in, and it's taken us, you know, over a year to get control of this. And yeah, our kids have missed a lot of milestones and they've missed that important socialization that they all really need at whatever age they may be. So everybody has losses. And I think the thing that's the most painful right now is that what's happening with the college application process is it's really inflating um, the amount of kids who are applying to schools. So, so many more are applying to so many more schools because they've eliminated in many cases, the need for an ACT or SAT because it's been hard to administer these tests during a pandemic. So kids are now flooding um, more competitive schools than maybe they would have otherwise applied to. And so these wait lists are growing. And I think that Jen and I both think there's going to be a lot of disappointment this year in the process. And so we're really encouraging parents to read the final chapter of the parent compass, which just talks about alternative routes. You know, we don't have to go right into a four-year college or back to a four-year college. Kids can take a gap year, um, take a beat. They can, you know, do, do some work or internships. They can volunteer. They can learn a new language. They can, you know, find research opportunities and not just necessarily go right into kind of the whole college experience. But we've also seen, unfortunately, um, this huge rise of cheating. And it's heartbreaking because kids who may otherwise not have cheated um, are now finding all these ways, you know, by using a computer to just share answers. And in some ways, Jen and I said, you know, we wish this whole year was just a pass fail year. And in some schools, they've done that. And we also wish that, um, you know, it could just be viewed as like project-based learning, not something that you would be able to look up an answer to. So um, my daughter's doing, you know, a science project at home that there would be no way she could find an answer to any of the things that she's being asked to do because it's a unique you know, creative project. She has to draw a comic strip that shows the three different levels of energy. And I mean, I don't even know something kind of a right, more creative right. way of thinking. So teachers are thinking more outside of the box, but I, I do feel like um, parents just have to be more realistic and kids need to also just know that, um, you know, colleges will understand that this isn't easy. What I secretly wish is that in this year, colleges would just double their enrollment. They would just move more kids into dorms um, to allow a bigger space of people to come to their schools so that it could be less selective. It would also help their revenue stream because they would get a lot more tuition paying customers. And um, it would allow more people access and to also understand that there's over 3000 colleges, not 25. Yeah. So, you know, just, just go more broadly and know that, you know, where you go isn't how you turn out. The research says that you can have really happy lives and it's really what you're doing at wherever college you go to, not the name of your college that really determines, you know, your success and happiness in life. Jen, can we go back to, I'm kind of intrigued by the cheating thing and maybe it's kind of coming out of the whole varsity blues thing um, <laughs> where there was a lot of cheating going on with parents, but what are the kids doing? How do you know that, that there's this much cheating going on? I mean, obviously it would seem like it would be a lot easier because you don't have a teacher watching you, but how do we know the kids are cheating more? And what, what really worries you in terms of just their character about that? Um, I, my students are telling me, lots of my students are telling me how much- They're, they're flat out seeing, telling you that, that it's happening? That not that they are. Yeah. Um, or at least they're not admitting to me that they are. <laughs> um, I, I, I love my students. I, I, I truly do, do believe them. They're all, they're really, really good kids. Um, but yeah, they are flat out telling me 
that it is incredibly frustrating to be going through this time right now because um, they're on these Zoom calls. I mean, some of them have like after school things that they have to do via Zoom too. So they can be on Zoom for 12, 13, maybe more hours a day and they're just exhausted. And so what that's doing is that's driving the, the kids to cheat because they're, they're just done. They're so tired. Um, but then there's the other ones who are working so hard to get all the work done, you know, push through, they want to learn. I have some students that are telling me like, gosh, this stuff is actually really interesting to me. I know I need to know it and I'm, I'm working so hard to know it, but it is so incredibly frustrating to watch all these other kids cheating and doing just fine and not getting caught and getting, you know, the good grades. Um, while I'm, I'm really working hard. And so, um, you know, I hope that it all evens out when they all get back into the classroom and, um, you know, it, it can be maybe a little bit more obvious that, that some kids know their stuff and others don't. We also did see quite a bit of cheating going on during APs last year because APs had to go online. And, um, you know, there were stories of spiking searches of certain terms at certain times of the day where they knew that these exams um, were taking place. So um, I, I hope it all evens out in the end when they get back. I would just add that, um, yeah, my kids are telling me that kids in their classes are cheating. They're telling, I mean, I, I don't want to give away how everyone's doing it, but it's, I mean, teachers are asking kids to put their monitors so that they show their hands typing and they mm -hmm. don't, you know, to, to focus their camera on their hands and, you know, and, and that there's no cell phones, you know, in their room. I mean, kids are texting and communicating throughout the entire class. I mean, that's, that's just kind of a, a fact, you know, we used to pass notes, you know, when the teacher right. turned to face the board. So that that's long, long since forgotten, but, um, but yeah, not only are they telling that, but there are services. I mean, I hate, I'm not going to even advertise or merit advertising these services that kids are subscribing to and paying a monthly charge to submit paper, to, to get papers written, to get answers on things, to look up test answers. I mean, sort of like, what's the point? Like school has become how to find the way to find the answer. You know, it's like become, mm -hmm. let's, let's Google our school. You know, let's, let's Google school. I mean, what a waste of time. I mean, I have a son in college who's telling me the same thing is happening at the college level. Kids are doing it online. And I will be honest with you. My son went to two years of online high school um, be way before COVID. He had to do it for his sport in order to be before able to it was do trendy. <laughs> before it was trendy. And it was, it was the worst. there were, you know, 30 kids. And I think there were, he was one of three that weren't cheating. And, um, he told us all about this rampant cheating years ago. And when he found out that his college was going online, he called us from Philadelphia and said, I, I can't do it. I'm not going back to online. So I'm not going to spend a year of my college existence being online. Are you okay? If I continue my internship and continue to get paid and do some volunteer work and, um, still practice with my team, but just take a leave of absence. And we said, Sounds like you've thought it through and there's a perfect, wow. you know, example, not patting myself on the back as a mom, but I never expected my son to not go back for his sophomore year of college. And he picks up the phone every couple of weeks and tells us it's the best decision he ever made. I mean, he's so wow. relieved. He didn't waste a year is the way he describes it right. of taking college classes online. So, you know, some, some people get luckier than others, but yeah, the cheating is rampant. And I, I, I really think in person will help it. will won't eliminate it completely. But um, it will definitely help it. And some of, so Jen, some of my when, kids' when friends don't want to go back to school. Some kids don't. Oh, there's go a lot back of that as well. Because there's it's, a lot of that. 
easier to stay home or cheat from home or who knows what anyway. So, but Jen, when you have the kids, you know, meeting with you, do they, do they actually say, you know, my parents are all over me about the grades and that's why I do it. I mean, are they blaming parents for part of it? Well, I, I mean, frankly, I would say that I do trust my students. I don't, I, as far as I know, I don't think any of my- Oh, and I mean, I don't mean your students, sorry. I didn't phrase oh. that very well. I mean, like, are they saying that the parental thing because people are afraid? Because, you know, one of the things, one of the great things about the way we're doing the online school now is that we all have an app that connects us to our kids' grades. And we right. know when they didn't turn in an assignment. We know when the app says they got the whatever grade. We know what their running GPA is at any minute of the day. It's also a curse for the kids because there's a lag time with when grades go in. And I know this has been a constant argument where, you know, we walk up holding the phone and they know what's come about to come out of our mouths. And I think as parents, we, we just want to help them stay on top of it. But at the same time, it, it's created a lot of pressure for these kids too. Um, we actually talk about that. Uh, I think it was in the conclusion of the book where, um, Challenge Success, which is an excellent organization that, um, supports families, um, they looked at the number of times that they did a survey of the number of times that parents look at their kids' grades. And, and it was a bit astounding in how many parents looked at their kids' grades either every day or every other day, um, wow. which frankly, I believe is too much. And I think you make a great point. I actually had a call from a parent a week ago who was freaking out because their kid had a D in one class and an F in another class. And this kid ha had typically been a, you know, a pretty decent student and yada, yada, yada. And the reality is the teachers just hadn't put the grades in yet. Right. Um, so, you know, um, and I, and I, I, I kind of, you know, softly broached the subject with the student and he's like, I know my dad was freaking out at me and, and it's now an A and a B <laughs> because mm -hmm, the teacher yeah. finally did put in the grades. So um, yeah, I mean, I think I will say with a lot of the families that I've worked with, I have really tried to be reinforcing the fact that this is a difficult year. They know that this is a difficult year. And I, I have been pleasantly surprised with how many families are understanding that their teens are in a pretty rotten situation. And I think we can all look at this oh. and say, gosh, if I were in high school at this time, I would have lost my mind. I cannot imagine being in their place and especially when you know the anxiety around college admission is so great so you you lop that on top of the fact that we're in a pandemic and oh my gosh I can't even imagine the anxiety that these four kids are feeling um, and so I have been pleasantly surprised at the response of parents who are um, showing empathy to their kids. I would just add Deirdre um, put that app away from your phone go old school. And when the report card comes out twice a year, you have the conversation then because to micromanage every moment of what they've turned in and what they haven't turned in. I mean, we get an email sometimes saying your son wasn't in class today. And I was laughing. I'm like, wait, he wasn't in class today. He's home on his computer. Did he not log in? And it turned out like, I think he had an orthodontist one day and he, and he told his teacher, but the teacher right. hadn't put in the thing that We'd taken him to the orthodontist, but we got the reminder oh that your son cut you're like, laughing. You're in my head right now. We had the exact same thing happen. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm going, I have felt this year, like I've gone back to freshman year and I've gone back to sixth grade because those are the Aww. grades we have in my house. But I think a lot of parents feel like they're going through this school process again, because we're, we're probably far more plugged into our kids' schooling than we have been in years. Yeah. In and terms we, of the day-to-day. -day. And we don't need to be. That's the thing. Again, it goes back right. to that self-advocacy 
advocacy. Like who would want to be look your shoulder looked over every single assignment, every single moment. And what parent is like obsessed enough to do that? Like that says a little something more about the parent than it does about the kid. Like, let's let them, they know what it feels like to get a bad grade. They're going to figure yeah. out like <laughs> what they need to do to kind of get that back grade off or get it improved or do some extra credit. Or they're going to come to you and say, mom, I really screwed up on this thing. And I don't know what to do. Can you help me figure out a plan? So, um, so I just think, you know, I don't know. I remember my son's report card actually came like old school. It was the first time I even knew, I mean, this is embarrassing. I even knew all the classes he actually was taking. I just hadn't back to school night was on a zoom. So I never really met yeah. the teachers. I just saw them on a screen and I forgot their names. And suddenly I was like, oh, wow. Like, how are you doing in this class? What are you learning in this class? You know, you, it's, I think they don't even want to talk about it very much because they're so immersed in it all the time. Right. So what do we do? <laughs> because we're <laughs> into this and most of us have spent more, you know, one-on-one -on -one time with our, with our kids, with our families than we probably ever have before. Um, but a lot of families feel a lot of strain because of this. I mean, it's been, it's been a long year and I'm just wondering like, as we, yeah, well, obviously we got to get the book, but how do we, how do we do this better for the next couple of years? Because no matter what the, the, the friction is you might have in your house, you can always improve things even a little bit. So what are your, what are your advice? What's your advice for families right now? I am, um, I'm a really big believer in tangible reminders. So Ooh, I um, love that. What is, <laughs> what is a tangible reminder? Things that you can physically see that remind you of whatever you need to be doing, right? So um, I give all of my students a pair of earplugs, like those, you know, little bright orange foamy earplugs. Um, and I really encourage them to use that, carry them around in your backpack or in your locker or wherever you're going to see it occasionally. And um, use it as a tangible reminder to drown out the noise, to focus on who you are, to um, you know not get crazy into that comparison game. Um, and then actually Cindy and I wear a compass necklace. And the reason is that we want to be reminded on a constant basis that this is hard. This is the stuff that we're asking parents to do in the parent compass. I'll say right now is not easy. It's not going to be a walk in the park, but it's going to be what's going to help your family thrive. So we wear this so that we are reminded that when it gets hard, we need to be following our compass. And so I really do urge parents to, um, to, to use that as a takeaway to maybe even invest in a little pair of earplugs, or if not, just kind of remember that or wear something else or post something else up that is a tangible reminder that I'm gonna focus on what makes my kid unique, what makes my family unique. And, um, and I'm gonna build a village up around me to support me while I'm doing this hard work. Wow, that might mean taking a few people out of the village who are there who maybe yeah. prompt your comparisons though. Yeah. I, yeah. I will just add to Jen's comments that, um, correct. We, what we're asking parents to do is to be brave and to try to implement any one of these, you know, suggestions that we offer, not all of them at once. And some are going to work for some people. Some are going to not work for you. And some are going to be things you're already doing. So bravo. 
But um, the one of the pleasant surprises and outgrowths of the Parent Compass, and as you know, Deirdre, you can read the book in a weekend. It's really yes. not a long, dense read. It's not an embarrassing title to be carrying around because you're showing people that you want to self-improve if you want to carry You can the book read or- the book while drinking wine. You can, yes, yeah, you or, can. You can yeah. or you can listen to it on audible. If you're in a yes. long car drive or on a run or whatever, <laughs> or when you listen to this podcast, but, um, but what you can do, what we found, which was so surprising was that these book clubs are springing up where, um, mostly moms, but dads too are getting together and choosing the parent compass to have it be a way to spark dialogue. And we created on our website, um, a free download of a book club guide that will be folded into future printings of the book. Um, and it's a way for you to kind of have conversations with that village that you build around you. And yes, eliminate a few of the toxic members of that, because you know, you just need a couple good ones and the others, you can, I always just say, you can just nod and smile and you just can, can let it fall like water off a duck's back. So, um, so don't let that comparison game, you know, you know, dissuade you at all as parents stay true to your path, try to get onto the course and, and redirect if you need to, as you try to follow your own parent compass. And hopefully that's the takeaway is, you know, we all love these kids fiercely. We made them, they're part of us. They, you know, are an extension. Yes. Of, of a reflection of our family and our values and all of that, but they're not a mirror image of who we are. And they are not um, prizes or trophies that we need to kind of march around. They're human beings that have, it's their turn to be teenagers. It's their turn to be tweens. We got to do that. And now it's their turn and we need to walk beside them and support them and love them and make a lot of mistakes along the way. Share with our kids that we make mistakes too. Yeah. You know, Remind them that we are also fallible and human. And that also brings you much closer. I have found admitting flaws, apologizing, um, telling them I'm trying, showing them that you're reading this book to try to do better, you know, are all evidence to your kids that you just want to do a better job. And I, I said it to my kids when we were doing the questionnaire and I'm like, guys, come sit down to this questionnaire with me because I want to be a better mom. And who can say no to that? They said, all right, you have to find the right moment, make some brownies and, uh, you know, and, and get the conversation started. I learned a little hack when I was listening to you on Heather DeBro's show. She mentioned that she will tell her teenagers, I'm sorry, I've never parented a 17-year-old before. And so I tried it. I said, I'm sorry, I've never had a 15-year-old before. Oh my gosh, it was so powerful. It worked. (laughs) That's such (laughs) a good one. Sometimes just saying, I really don't know what I'm doing right now is very disarming with not only maybe people that you work with, but also with your kids, because especially when, you know, they're little, they just kind of expect you to know how to do everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And and when the fraud is revealed that you don't know everything, sometimes (laughs) it's actually like a great conversation starter. It's very humanizing, very humanizing. They see you as, I think when you can admit that they see you instead of as this authoritarian, instead your role shifts a bit to more of a cheerleader. Like, look, we're in this together. I'm trying, you're trying, and we're going to, we're going to make mistakes together. And we're going to talk about it when we do, um, so that we can continue to learn because when, when we make a mistake, we need to be always learning that mistake. And so we can, we can role model that as well. We can role model humility. Yeah. Yeah, I, I used to yell a lot more than I do now. I did. It was something I had to learn to not be a yeller, but, um, when my kids have seen me cry, I mean, I don't know how many of us, our kids have seen us cry over every, anything from, 
you know, watching the Disney, you know, 4-H dogs learning to be trained on that cute Disney show, like a sappy <laughs> yes. commercial, or when, um, you know, they're reading, you're reading a phrase in a book, or whether you've just been at your wit's end and you turn to tears, um, the room gets quiet and your kids go, wow, you're a human being too. You're not the boss and who's in charge. You know, you're just feeling your feelings. And it does really create an amazing equalizer and your kids will throw their arms around you. We know our dogs will come up to us and cuddle exactly. up, but, you know, but, but your kids will too. So it's it does, okay to cry. <laughs> it does make me sad though, that, that these kids on the whole feel so much pressure from parents right now with regards to college, because there are thousands of colleges and schools out there and there's a great fit for everyone. And nothing makes me happier than when I have a friend and you say, oh, how's, how's you know, Jack doing at college? And they say he's happy, he's really happy or he's really thriving. Like, I think that's like the greatest thing yeah. versus somebody who comes and says, straight A's, he's a yeah. you know captain of this team. It's a, I, I find more and more, and maybe it's just the age that I am now, I, when I hear that somebody's happy and content, I'm like, well, what a gift that is. Yeah. And happy. not just one fit, so many fits. So I mean, many fits. that's the crazy thing is when I, I always felt like fit was such a funny word that you're trying to find the right fit is that colleges are really so, so many of them. I mean, everyone offers every major, unless you're at an engineering or an arts school, for example, I mean, you can study anything anywhere. It's just, yeah, in a different setting, in a different environment, in a different city, in a different size school, but every college is full service. So you really can go so broadly and, and find what you're looking for and just do what you want to do where you are there. And what a lot of people forget is these schools on these fancy lists. Um, once you get there, um, there's a lot more people like you than there are different than you kids who have really, you know, ground down and, and there is a lot of, um, kind of imposter syndrome that kind of happens. If you go to a school, that's, you're kind of more in the middle of the pack it's a pretty good feeling because you just feel like everyone around you is more like you, you know, and, um, there's, you know, just different ways to connect. So, you know, there's no right or wrong to all of this, but I would just say that the more that we can get off of our concern about rankings and, um, you know, all of that, the better for everyone involved. Jen, how old are your kids? Mine are younger. Mine are seven and five. Do you worry about teen years, even though you're kind of an expert on this Absolutely. now? Absolutely. I won't even let okay, you good. that question. Yes. I, <laughs> I think about it every day. I honestly do. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Um, the, the whole social media thing just freaks me out. Um, thankfully, we don't have to deal with that yet. We do dive into it a lot in the book. We've done, we've done a lot of research, but um, yeah, I worry about the teen years. I worry about the pressure. I worry, um, I, I worry daily. Yeah. All the time. Jen's are going to, they're going to turn out great. She's going to have all this, you know, <laughs> I have to say, I mean, I have, I've only worked with teens. That's been my age group since. So I couldn't wait for my kids to become teenagers because You're I'm the, like the only person years, in the world who would ever I say that chose that though. Like I, my career was yeah. always working with teens. And so to me, it's like, I think it is the greatest period in life to be able to connect because they're talking to you, not so much as an adult, but like, you know, you're a little bit more at a, I don't know. I just always felt young working with these great kids. And even though I'm 50 now, um, and proud to be it, um, you know, I still feel this sense of joy for kids at this age. I think it's an exciting time. I think it's a time of such immense growth and my heart's broken for those ones who are just overly stressed out, but look at, you know, look at the pandemic, how much we've slowed down and how our days are not quite as jam packed 
and how much more sleep our kids are getting and um, how we don't really need to buy as many clothes and we don't need to consume as much. And, you know, again, wouldn't wish it on anyone, but we can take some of these messages and maybe carry them forward as well. Yeah. And I think it's just, it's now it's kind of the time for, I think a lot of us to look at, and this is why I love your book is it's a really good time to take kind of a self inventory of how are we interacting with our kids and what is the ultimate goal? And to be really honest with ourselves about what's been pushing some of us to be pushing these things on our kids. Yeah. Well, if you read um, the, the chapter that shows the transcript from Varsity Blues, and it brings us back to the beginning of our talk, um, you'll just read these sad words from kids who said, you know, why didn't you believe in me? Why didn't you see me for who I was and why wasn't I good enough? And what a terribly painful thing to hear from your kid that they feel that their parent doesn't see them as good enough, that their parents had to do something crooked to try to turn them into something different. Um, and didn't have faith in them. So we can learn from the mistakes of others. And I think Heather said in the interview, she's like, I'm so glad varsity blues happened before I got to this stage. Not that I would have, <laughs> not that I would have airbrushed anyone's head on anything, but honestly, like, yes, we see the pressure. We know the pressure and we hope that the parent compass takes away some of that pressure on everybody. I had no idea that the pressure was what it was until that story broke. No clue, but it, but it wasn't my world yet. I didn't have a kid even coming close to it age-wise. So, um, I mean, at, my, at that point, all I knew was that all the schools that I got into, I couldn't have gotten into now <laughs> because it's so competitive. Same. We hear that all the time. <laughs> Never happened. So what is a good way to keep up with both of you? Um, well, you can find us on Instagram at Parent Compass, um, also our website at parentcompassbook.com. Um, and you can sign up for our newsletter, which we, we don't barrage people with newsletters just every couple months, um, but you can keep up with what we're doing there. Um, and you can also find us on Facebook at The Parent Compass um, and LinkedIn at Cindy Muchnick and Jen Curtis. And then you also have some podcasts as well, right? Yeah, we have some podcasts that they're all linked actually on our website. So the easiest way to find them is to go to parentcompassbook.com and um, Deirdre, yours will be up there when this drops. So um, people can just go to the podcast tab and click on, we have about a dozen podcasts that we've co-hosted with really amazing authors and educators and really interesting thought leaders. And then we have um, a bunch that we've been lucky to guest on, on a variety of different topics, including today's, which we're so excited to to do with you. Oh, well, thank you so much. I've really, really enjoyed the conversation. The book is fantastic and I wish you just the best of luck with it. I think your timing on it is absolutely perfect. And I hope people find it as a great resource. Thank, thank you, dear. Go out and get a copy of The Parent Compass. I really cannot recommend it enough. It's a pretty fast read written very conversationally, and it would also be a great gift if you know someone who, you know who I'd give it to? I mean, obviously high school parents, they need it. They need it like right now. But I would give it to middle school parents. That's a good time to read it because it's that time when you kind of stop programming your kid's life, setting up all the activities, and they start kind of letting you know what their plans are, which is... Um, a shocking time. It is not fun, but it should be very exciting for them. So hopefully when things start to loosen up a little bit, they start to have those normal milestones again. But that is a time when parents really need to kind of sit back and evaluate. And it's a good one to maybe read with your friends because parenting with your kids' friends' parents is a lot easier than parenting against them. And you might find in other families, even though you're told 
that everybody else does things a certain kind of way, that they're really not. And the book really will help even some of that stuff out. So thank you so much to my guest today. I really enjoyed the conversation. We stayed on for about another half hour talking about, you know, all the things um, and the book, but really just about life in general. We definitely hit it off. So uh, check out the book. And if you enjoyed the show today, I would love it if you would screenshot the show, share it on your social media, and definitely forward on that link to other people who might find it helpful. This is always just kind of a starting point, I feel. And um, what I personally do with with episodes like this that I, I maybe miss some of the you know the key points that come across, sometimes I listen twice, but a lot of times I'll search the guests for their appearances on other podcasts because it's always fun to hear what other people ask them as well and that way the information really soaks in because god knows we need everything to really soak in right now thanks for listening to the show leave us a rating a review wherever you heard the show today and we'll see you next week on dying to ask